Luke, the, the first chapter, we're going to begin reading in the fifth verse, Luke 1 and 5. Derek, go ahead and put the time up there for me as well, so I may just, I'm most likely going to ignore it, but anyway. Um, birthplace of promise is what, we are been, what we've been talking about. And now I wanna, I'm going to look here. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip down a few verses. But what we see here is the, the setup is this. We have Zechariah, who's a priest. He's come out of the tribe of Levi. And it is his turn to go in and light the incense within the temple. His wife, Elizabeth, is a, has and not been able to conceive a child. Her womb is barren. So Zechariah and Elizabeth sought the Lord to the place that they had reached the, the, the age where it was no longer physically possible for them to bear a child. We've been talking about how that the birthplace of promise is that barrenness that we find. The birthplace of God in our life is when we reach the end of ourselves and we can't go anymore. Come on. How do we come to salvation? We finally get to the point where we can't work enough, work hard enough, be good enough to make it in until we come to the realization that we've got to have some help. And that's the supernatural impartation of the Holy Spirit. So now we are here, and it's his turn to go into light incense within the temple. In verse 11, it says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, Zechariah saw him, he was troubled. Fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not fear, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Oh, somebody in this house this morning, you've come and you've been wondering, God, are you listening? Is heaven just closed up? Can you not hear what I'm calling out for, Lord God? But Zechariah was here and said, Your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. Just call me John. Jehovah's, John means Jehovah's gift, the grace of God, and the mercy of God. You will have joy and gladness and will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, speaking of Jesus, in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Can somebody say, wow, wow. Now, I want you to get all this. There's been a petition that Elizabeth and Zechariah have been making before the Lord year after year, decade after decade, on and on and on. And so the Lord shows up and says, all right, here it is. Here's your, here's your promise that you've been asking for. And now look at, look at Zechariah's response in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. 
The angel said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And now you will be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things happen because you did not believe my words which were fulfilled in their season. Okay, you get the promise you've been praying for and then I'm gonna, uh, the Lord's going to up that by a, a thousand degrees. This son that you're coming, that's going to be the child of promise, he's going to come forth. And this child of promise is going to carry on the lineage of the priesthood. He's going to be a mediator between God and man. He's going to be the forerunner of the living God as he walks upon the face of the earth. He's going to turn hearts of fathers back to children. He's going to correct the disobedient and turn them to the just. And he's going to get a people prepared to meet their God. He's going to walk in that power of the spirit of Elijah. But wait a minute, Lord, this didn't come at the time I was expecting, so I'm not expecting this to happen because it's just not going to happen, so I, I don't know what you're going to do to make this happen. Come on. Sometimes, as we talked about last week, we put more hope in our expectations than we do in God. We put more confidence in our expectations than we do in the Lord. And see, my timing is not God's timing. And usually in all ways that I have found in my experience in my limited time of 30 years of ministry, every time I reach that place where I think this is how it ought to be, it's not as it is, I imagined it to be. And there's many a prayer that I had prayed that I've long since forgotten that the Lord reminds me. Reminds me. It reminded me of a prayer I prayed 30 years ago when the Lord called me into the ministry. I said, Lord, you got to call my whole family. My son started his first full-time youth pastor position last Wednesday night. And the Lord just said, you remember the day? You remember the moment? You remember when you didn't tell Andrea because you was afraid what she might say? You remember I didn't... Afraid I'd beat you up because she said, I, I'm not going to live in a trailer house because I'm afraid of storms. And I'm not going to, what was the other thing? Uh, I, I will not be married to a preacher's wife. And I was the furthest thing. I won't be married to a preacher's wife. That's weird. I won't be married to a preacher. <laughs> she was pretty safe at the time she's making these declarations. A motorcycle. I haven't got a motorcycle. I got two strikes down. If I get the third, then I'm going to have to start another ministry altogether. <laughs> See, I was the furthest thing from being a preacher. She was The reason she said I became a, a, a Pentecostal preacher is because she left the Baptist church because she was missionary dating, which I don't recommend. She is dating a heathen, not knowing that God had a purpose. He got a plan. He said, you're not just going to be married to a preacher. You, you, you're going to be one. Amen. I just love how the Lord just works things around. But last week or a couple of weeks ago, we started out with a promise, birthplace of promise. I'm, I want us to get this in our spirit. It's that barrenness. It's when you, when you don't have the answer to the problem. In fact, you don't have enough resources, you don't have enough intellect, you don't have enough reasoning skills. It's just not going to happen without God. That's called faith. It's when you don't have any other recourse but for God to come through. 
That's the barren womb that we're talking about. It's born through impossible set of circumstances. Now, last week we talked about the fact that it's not only the promise of the, uh, that's coming out of that barrenness, but that promise has purpose. We saw that in Hannah's day, whenever she prayed for a son, after all those many years, God granted when she surrendered. And in that surrender, she discovered that God had a purpose in that barrenness. God had a purpose for that child that was going to come forth. He was going to be a prophet to the nations and turn the atmosphere of a nation away from darkness back to the covenant of God. Carry the message told him that no razor shall touch his head. You notice here again that the angel Gabriel said there'll be no strong drink come upon that, uh, that child. In other words, uh, he's going to be a Nazarite from birth just like Samuel was a Nazarite from birth, which means you've got a responsibility, mom and daddy, that you've got to watch over and to ensure that he is the one set apart. He is the one who is surrendered. He is the one. Folks, let me tell you, when we bring babies into the world, we're bringing in the eternal beings that we are responsible for. Don't stop praying for your kids. Don't stop leading your kids in the things of God. But I love the fact that as we have discovered, as Paul was quoting Isaiah 54, that the barren womb is Israel. The barren womb in Isaiah 54 is Israel. And the child that comes forth is Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? See, every son that is born from a barren womb is pointing, as a promised child, is pointing to the ultimate promised child. And to the place where Israel, being the mother of us all, but we see that Israel is the mother, but Jesus is the one who was born from the womb of a virgin named Mary, an impossible situation. And now every other barren womb son is a representation or a type of Christ. He's the promised son. He is the prophet, the voice of the Father. He is the one who exegetes, who tells us who the Father. Jesus said, if you've, seen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's been a defamation of the character of the Father, and I'm going to expel all of those myths because if you see me, you've seen the Father. He's not an angry, petulant, looking to destroy, waiting to wipe somebody else. Somebody else. He is the one who has come to deliver the message of salvation to all of humanity. Amen? So all sons born of the barren womb are a type of the son born out of impossible supernatural means. Now we have another son that we're looking at today. It is this priestly son priestly son that points to the the ultimate high priest of our salvation which is the lord jesus christ now a priest was a mediator between god and man mediator was one who intervenes between two persons who are at variance with a view of reconciling the two so you got two parties that are opposed to one another and the ministry of the priest are we not all called to be priests? Called to be mediators between God and man to reconcile those relationships. 
Reconciliation. How many know that if you don't reconcile your checkbook? I can count on one hand in my lifetime where the bank was wrong. But I still check them every day. I can count on one hand the number of times that that banking institution was wrong. So the majority of the time I was wrong, so I had to reconcile to the bank. Because I missed that check, I missed that debit, I missed something. And so there's a reconciliation where you take the records that are on file at the bank that are we now have instant access to, that their records match up with our records. That's called reconciliation, where we bring those two parties into agreement. Reconciliation means the action of making one view or belief comparable with the other. It is the restoration of friendly relationships. Those are the three definitions of reconciliation, straight textbook definitions. That friendly relations coming into uh, reuniting, resolving, remedying, an end of hostility, bringing a harmonization. So the ministry of reconciliation is this. You take God's records and you bring them into reconciliation with our records. You take the hostility between the two and you bring those into agreement. See, the challenge is if we don't understand that God does not reconcile to us. We reconcile to God. Aren't you glad that he's not a wishy-washy God who is up one day and down the next? Who's not a moody God? Who just, not a, not a one who is worried about fads and fashions and everywhere the wind blows and, and changing doctrine just because it doesn't agree with the, the populace. But he is a God who changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But see, we got to come to the place where we understand who he is because we can't understand the mission if we don't know the message. See, he takes and he brings us into reconciliation with himself. He takes all of our indebtedness and he covers all of our losses, all of our overdrafts, all the charges, because a bank, they're a little snippety when you, when you write that check and there's not funds to cover it. You know what I'm saying? We're going to make sure you're not going to listen. You're going to learn. We put it in that real fine print down there on the bottom. No, I hadn't bounced a check in years. The last check I bounced was to our district office because I was moving from one location to the other. I changed banks and I sent them a check and I forgot about it. <laughs> They didn't like that tithe checks bouncing. So anyway, store for another day. But see, what happens is there's a great indebtedness on our side. Jesus came and he paid that indebtedness to reconcile us to the Father. And then when Jesus came, he, he tore down that middle wall of petition that stood between us and God, that hostility. I love this definition of reconciliation. It's the end of estrangement. The end of estrangement. 
I'm no longer estranged from God. I'm no longer standing in opposition of God. Now, folks, I think we get to the place where many times uh, as we read the passage of Scripture, we understand that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. We see that in Hebrews 12, 24, that to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Abel's blood asks for vengeance. Jesus' blood offers forgiveness. But what we see here is the intercessory role of Jesus that we've got to get in our spirit to understand the message. This is where we've got to start. The Bible says, therefore, he is also able to save to the utmost those whom God, who come to God through him, which he always lives to make intercession for them. We've had in our mind's eye a theology and a teaching and a preaching that Jesus is there in opposition trying to hold back the Father, trying to hold him back. They say, oh, Father, please don't kill them all. Father, please don't destroy them all. See, the discrepancy is not between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is no discrepancy between the Godhead. No, the intercession is Jesus now trying to intervene to you and I, to say to you and I, our sins are forgiven and that God the Father has made a way through my blood sacrifice. Now come in and be reconciled to the very thing that I died for to bring you into fellowship with the Father. See, that doesn't line up with many of our theological understanding of the Father. See, but what, let me ask you this. Whose idea was reconciliation? Whose idea was to give their son as the perfect sacrifice for our sins? Who's, who originated the thought of bringing the entirety of the world into relationship with the Father? God, the Father. I tell you, I loved how he said in Isaiah 54, you who bore not, you're going to, I want you to rejoice because you're going to bear a son. And that son, when he comes forth, he's going to, what you need to do, Israel, is now this covenant that I'm making with you cannot be contained in one nation. In fact, we got to loosen the tent stakes. We got to broaden the, we got to lengthen the cords. We got to stretch the canopy because it's not just going to be contained to one nation. You have been the preserver of the covenant but let me tell you there's a covenant maker that's coming he's the mediator between God and man and let me tell you he's going to reconcile humanity to himself oh it's bigger than our four and no more mm. my hope is that you'll get a hold of this and understand I want you to go with me I want you to look at John 20 and 21 through 23. John 20, 21 through 23. To understand the ministry, we must understand the message. As you're looking there, I, just, I want to write something that I wrote here. I want to write something. Wake up. <laughs> Wait a minute, let me get my toenails out of my teeth. <laughs> What does that mean? I just keep putting my foot in my mouth. Okay. 
haven't been able to do that since I was two. But anyway, let's look here. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Mediator connects two parties, reconciling one to the other. Jesus is not pleading with the Father to spare wayward humanity. The question of humanity's righteousness has been resolved in Jesus. The Father and the Son are not contradicting one another. The Father need only look at the Son in his glorified human form to see the reconciliation is complete. No, Jesus, as the representative in the total agreement with the Father and the Spirit, is communicating a message of completion to humanity. This is the ministry of reconciliation. Not holding back the fierce anger of a father ready at any moment to destroy worthless humans. No, the message, the, the message of heaven and intercession of Jesus is convincing man that his sins are forgiven. There is life in Christ, victory over hell. The defamation of the father has plagued the thoughts of humanity since the fall. Whose idea is reconciliation? Whose idea is abundant life? Who started the conversation? It is time to lay aside the idea of a short-fused father and embrace his love. It is time to extinguish the ideology that God's split personality disorder. There is no contradiction in God. Now understand this, we've got to understand the message. Now I'm reading out of the new, the Passion Translation. And in John 20, verses 21 through 23, Jesus speaking here, it says, Jesus repeated his greeting. See, this is the time where he came in and he stepped through the wall and he said, peace to you. If Jesus in physical form walked through that wall, just like, I don't know why, my, my wife must have been half awake and half asleep when the angel stepped into that room that day, because who in their right mind would say, hey, come in here? <laughs> but here, the, the, the disciples have been so bombarded. They seen Christ die on the cross. They didn't fully understand what he had done and reason he had done it. They were not anticipating because they had the doors locked, they had the window blinds drawn, and they were sitting just in fear because they thought they were the ones that were going to be next. And here Jesus steps through the wall and thanks be to God, he declared peace to you. Because I'm sure that they were afraid enough to jump up and bust through the wall themselves. And he told them just, listen to this, listen to this. Just as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. Then taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins. And people's sins will be forgiven but if you don't proclaim forgiveness of their sin they will remain guilty Jesus is glorified human form conquered death hell and the grave 
he didn't hold it. But he breathed upon them. The breath of life, the same word used as the breath that was breathed into Adam's nostril that brought him life. Adam forfeited that life through disobedience, but now the last Adam has come, and he is not the one receiving the breath. He's the one giving the breath, and now he begins to breathe, and in that breath, what man could never do, oh, Israel, you're just, a, you're just the covenant keeper. You're the house. You're the womb. You're the womb, but you can't produce. Oh, your laws and religion, they can't produce. That's the reason I gave you. They're not bad. In fact, they're good, and they're holy, and they're acceptable. But it's not the works of the law that bring forth righteousness. It is not the work of law that's going to cause you. You can't be good enough. But there's coming a day where there's going to be a resurrection of one who sits on the right hand of the Father. As he ascends and he sits down, he's going to be the head of all. But for this to happen, I've got to put my seed inside that womb. And when that seed is put inside that womb, he will be a woman and he will be of God. When you breathe and receive life, the moment we just talked about before we ever started the sermon, they had that moment right there. It was a born again experience. Whenever I was laying in my bed on 7 Eleven Jefferson Street in Bowie, Texas, of all places, laying there. Just filled with the, with the guilt and the con, uh, conviction of my sins. And in that moment, the Lord began to speak to me. Your sins are forgiven. I received the message as I was going to the church, but I wasn't fully comprehending it. But when I received Jesus' breath inside of me, all of a sudden, as I accepted him as Lord and Savior, I exhaled my old life and I inhaled a new life. And in that moment, I was changed. I was born again. And my life was no longer the same. I, I was root to be the kind of sinner that I once was. Someone came alive, took up residence inside of my heart. But I want you to see this. Receive the Holy Spirit. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins. And if you will do this, people will receive that message and their sins if they receive it, their sins will be forgiven. See, this is where we're at, modern day church. This is the good news that we have left out of the message. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. That's the message. Your sins are forgiven. Now, Understand, I'm not preaching universalism, that everybody's saved and they don't know it. I, I believe everybody is lost, they just don't know there's means of salvation. It, was, it would be as if there was a man who was so dehydrated because he had lived out into a wilderness in the sun beating down upon him every single day. 
In fact, we had a time where my father picked me up in his old mud truck, and we went headed out to West Texas to take mud to the oil rigs. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So we're there, and it's that hot summer. You remember the summer? It was, some of you don't because you're not old enough, but it was somewhere along in the 70s, and it got up to 120 degrees. Y'all remember that? We took off and didn't have sense enough to take any water with us. Nobody took water. In fact, our football coaches used to tell us when we played football, if we drank water, we were sissies. I'm like, I don't care. Give me the hose. I'm thirsty. So I'm a little kid, and we're driving. I'll never forget this. We were driving along, and all of a sudden, I mean, the windows are down. There's no such thing as AC, and even if there was, my, my family would not turn the AC on. So it's hot. It's miserably hot. It's so hot, you stick your arm out the window, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to sear over. You know, little, I got sunburnt so bad, I had bubbles on my, on my shoulders. It's that kind of hot. We have no water. And we're driving out in the middle of an old dusty road, and all you could taste was the dirt on those old West Texas roads. Man, it was just caked all over. So my, my dad's driving along, and all of a sudden, he's like, <laughs> we come to a screeching stop. There's, not a, there's barely a breath of wind in the air. And he looked over in this field, and he said, son, grab that empty Coke bottle and come on. So we jump out of the truck, get through the bob wire after I got hung up a time or two, and we took off for this windmill. And it's just barely creaking. And there's like this drip of water out of the end of the pipe coming over some moss that had grown up around the edge of it. And he filled that bottle up. We did rinse it out. Filled it up. He said, here, drink. Man, I took that bottle. To this day, that was the most refreshed. Some of you are like, ah, I'm getting to the water fountain. I'm thirsty. It was the most refreshing drink of water that I've ever tasted in my whole life because I was so desperately thirsty. See, when it comes to salvation... The message goes out, your sins are forgiven. And the Lord brings you into a room like this, and he sets you down, and he puts before you a, a gallon jug of ice-cold water. It says, look, this will satisfy your thirst. In fact, he does so much more than that. He brings us to a fountain of living water. And in that fountain of living water, he sets before us and says, you can have this. It is yours to drink. Your sins are forgiven. And then you refuse to drink of that fountain. Whose fault is that? Is it God's or ours? See, your sins are forgiven, but you have to pick up the cup. You've got to reach for the fountain. See, the salvation does not come. See, this is the message, children of God. You go proclaim your sins are forgiven. See if that changes your evangelistic endeavors. Your sins are forgiven. 
person living in the world and who are bound on drugs and alcohol, who are living in debauchery, who are living from, from one moment to the next, they may also drive a fancy car and live in a fancy house. But let me tell you, there is misery for those who do not know the fullness of Jesus Christ. No, it, not, it doesn't matter your social standing. What matters is do you understand that your sins are forgiven? Your sins are forgiven, but you have to accept the one who gave and paid the price and be reconciled out of darkness into light. You've got to be reconciled because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they have made provision for you and I to come into relationship. The reconciliation on their side has been complete. They are the ones who have all the resources to feel your debt. See, the barren womb of Elizabeth brought forth the priest, the promised son, who was a type of the one, the Spirit of the Lord, who would point to the ultimate one who brings forth life. And the message is this, your sins, does that not change everything? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Hear me, wayward one, your sins are forgiven. But your sins are not only forgiven, you now have authority over yourself. It's not the devil making you do things anymore because now you have victory over self. Let me say to you, when you breathe in that breath of life, the Lord comes alive inside of you. And in the life that he brings, it's a fullness and completion of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You have now been brought into a relationship with the living God. Now that he breathes inside of you, what do you do? You go and proclaim to others their sins are forgiven. Goodness, that's super good news, don't you think? Wonderful strategy on behalf of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He kind of knows things, doesn't he? What does he know? He knows that we are free in him. See, because all the debt that I had incurred up until that moment was already taken care of 2,000 years before I ever even asked. Before I ever even needed it, God had already supplied it. Before I ever even knew that I was going to need it, he had already caused a fountain of living water to begin to flow that if I would drink from, I would have life and have life eternal. Oh, my God, this is such good news. In fact, if people start receiving this good news, there's not going to be, you better break up the, get the stakes and break them up. Go ahead and lengthen the cords and, and get that canopy so wide and so big. See, our vision can't just be about our local, our foreign no more, because it's too much. It's too big. Why do we have a missions board in the back and take up offerings? It's because we understand the message. It's not just about an individual. It's about generations. It's about nations. It's about what God is doing. Oh, I'm telling you, it's time that we stop inflating the enemy. It's time that we stop elevating the devil. The earth still belongs to the Lord and all its fullness is his. That's why the angels declare the whole earth is full of the glory of God. 
your sins are forgiven. Do you know where every curse is broken? At the cross. Those curses that the enemy keeps plaguing you with, child of God, keeps telling you you got to go through this and that and this and then and else. Maybe that'll help you come to realization, but let me tell you, it's not in the formula, it's in the solution, which is the cross. It's broken. It's broken. See, when depression broke off of my life, I did not have the revelation that it was already done. I didn't have the revelation that it was complete. But at the cross, when I said, Lord, I'm, I'm submitted. I'm submitted. The resistance of the enemy was already taken care of at the cross, but now I had to understand it's taken care of in me. That I have the right and the authority to say, no, this is not going to be allowed. This is done at the cross. Jesus Christ has done everything. Don't add anything to your salvation. It's not grace and works. It's just faith in the completed work. It's faith in the complete. Your sins are forgiven. Does it mean I continue to sin? No. Good gosh. Who would want to? Who would want to? I don't have a craving to go back and start snorting cocaine. I don't have a need to go out and slam a bottle of whiskey and act like a fool and get thrown in jail again. I don't have a desire to drink another beer. I don't have a desire. I don't want to spit another dip of snuff. In fact, it would probably make me vomit right here on the floor. I don't have a least bit to desire to live like I used to live. Why? Because I breathed in the breath of life. I understood the price that he paid and the relationship that I have with him now. A nature has changed and there's conquering of self, Satan, and sin. That's what's included in the reconciliation that took place when you got to the place where you no longer had any place and you were at that moment and you said, no more can I do this. God, I look up to you in my barrenness and I'm asking you right now, Lord God, to save me. Lord, breathe your life into me. I want to know what it means to be forgiven, not to carry the burden of my shame, the burden of my guilt, the burden of my remorse. Lord, I want to be saved. Lord, save me or kill me. I can't live this way anymore. And in that moment, my life has changed. Someone has a moment that's scheduled now. Now. Your sins are forgiven. You know what kept me out of relationship with Christ? I kept coming to the place. I'd go to church. I'd listen to the message. Grew up a little bit in a Baptist church. I liked to go to their skating night and went to many a church camp. Went, started going to this Pentecostal crazy place that my girlfriend was going. God can use a pretty girl to catch a stinker like me. She kept going to church every Sunday. I'm like, why don't you invite me to church? She said, nah, you don't need to go. 
I said, no, I'm going. Come get me. So I start going to church, and I start listening. Man, this is different than anything I've ever seen. First Sunday there, tongues and interpretation. My hair just went whoosh. You know what my thought was? This is cool. God's in this house. Because I'd never felt anything like that. So I kept going. Man, I was getting, I was going to a Pentecostal church. I got brave enough to raise my hand. One hand. I'd raise my hand and I would feel God. I was like, woo. Try this again. Then I got super brave. They called people down to pray. And before she knew it, I was out of the aisle, and I was heading down to going to help the preacher pray for that person in the altar. I had this guy down there praying. I don't know what they even praying about, praying for healing or something. I walk over, and I reach in. I laid my hand, and I'd never felt the God like I felt him in that moment. It's like, whoa, this is outside my comfort level. I went back to my seat. And then one day I was in church and I had wholly surrendered to God. And the Lord said, look at that man up there. And I said, yes. He said, you'll do what he does. I said, you sure? (laughs) Have you told her? (laughs) I said, Lord, I'm not going to tell her. I'm not going to say a thing. Two and a half years I didn't mention a word and I was called to preach. Because I didn't fully believe it myself. But then all of a sudden, the Lord just kept working and working and working and working and working and working. He talked, I was walking into work one day, getting ready to check in, walked through the gate, as loud as I've ever heard him. He said, you are, I'm calling you into full-time ministry. And I looked straight up. I don't know if anybody's watching me or not. I said, okay, Lord. A couple of months later, we were in full-time ministry. But see, it all began... It all began as I received the forgiveness of my sins. That's the message, church. Your sins are forgiven. Worship team, make your way up right now. Make your way up right now. If you're in this house, stand all across this room. If you're in this house, and you've not received the life of Jesus Christ by receiving the forgiveness of your sins, by accepting his lordship in your life, this is your moment right now. Your life is going to be eternally changed as you receive that message of forgiveness. See, it's in that barren womb, that barren Womb, that impossible situation where systems no longer work. They don't work anymore. The systems of works, the systems of morality, the systems of goodness. See, we have replaced righteousness with morality, and it doesn't work. Righteousness produces morality, but morality will never, ever, ever, never produce righteousness. But Jesus became what he was not so that you can become what you were not. 
Would you breathe in that sacred breath of life and you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior? Now you've got a purpose because God just didn't bring you out to leave you out. He brought you out so that you can lead others in. He didn't save a, a, a person like myself who was so self-destructive and filled with such self-hatred so that I could just stick around and just hope that my family be saved. No, he had a purpose and a call. He's got a purpose and a calling for you today. I just know that I know somebody in this house today, God is reaching out saying your sins are forgiven. What? you it's time that you are set free you've done it long enough yourself come on come on come on these altars are open come to this place and say God I surrender God I surrender uh, whatever you tell me to do I'll do whatever situation I'm in I'll change Lord by the power of your spirit if that's you there's more right now there's more right now come on come on the worship team is gonna they're gonna begin to worship but is if this message is for you come on step out say God I want my sins forgiven I want my sins forgiven I receive I receive right now I receive right now God of mercy God of grace God of goodness Lord thank you for the sacrifice thank you Lord God for the forgiveness of sin thank you Lord Jesus thank you Lord Jesus my God, you have reconciled us unto yourself, Lord God. You give us the strength to change whatever we need to change. God, we surrender all to you right now. We receive the message of forgiveness. We receive the message of forgiveness. Oh, merciful God, I need some men of God. I need some of our ministers come. Lay hands upon these guys here right now. Come on, come on, come on.